And now for something completely different. Forget everything you've been told by others before. Get ready for the real deal. The full story. Real talk about money, markets, life. Now, it's The Real Investment Show with Lance Roberts. Presented by RIA Advisors. And good morning and welcome to, well, it's the first day of August. Summer's just ticking right by. Kids, you ready to go back to school? Thank gosh. Uh, get them out of the house here pretty soon. <laughs> I always love it when school starts. Get them back to work. Uh, anyway, it's uh, of course, it is hot uh, in Texas, of course, because now preheating is over. Summer is officially here in Texas, so if you like the heat, it's just uh, part of the natural progress of being in Texas. Um, outside of that, markets have also been very hot, uh, of course, over the last month. In fact, as we talked about yesterday, five months in a row, the markets have been up. And today's article on the website, and we'll go over some of the charts this morning, but uh, sentiment is getting extremely bullish now. You know, it's very interesting, you know, this time uh, last year, we were really talking about extreme negative sentiment. Everybody was bearish. Everybody was convinced we're in a big bear market. Everybody's convinced we were in a recession. Remember, we had just posted two quarters of negative economic growth in the first and second quarter of last year. So everybody's convinced now we're going into a recession. Uh, sentiment very negative. Now it's the extreme opposite, right? Uh, we've just posted two quarters of decent economic growth, 2% plus over the last two quarters. And everybody is just about as bullish as they can get. In fact, it's interesting this morning, I put out a couple of tweets talking about the month of August and how you typically have a bit of weakness in the month of August and the amount of pushback against that is like, oh, well, you know, June was supposed to be week two and it wasn't. So we all know how predictions turn out. Nobody's predicting anything. We're just saying, hey, this is the seasonal tendency of things. But the important thing is, is that the the, the belief now is that we can have a correction and that's exactly what you need to have a correction, right? That is actually, you know, when we talk about contrarianism in the, in, the, in the markets, that's exactly what you're looking for. You're looking for that point to where everybody believes that nothing can go wrong in the markets. In fact, if you take a look at the cost of hedging your portfolio, um, we just recently wrote an article about this uh, called, you know, does stock risk actually decline over time? And it doesn't. Actually, stock risk increase over time because the longer that you have an uptrend in the markets, the eventuality is you're going to have a, a decent correction. So stock risk doesn't decrease over time. It increases. And that's proven by the uh, cost of buying hedges or insurance out over time. So we know that's the case. However, what's interesting right now is the cost of hedging your portfolio is now the lowest on record. There is no one at the moment that believes we are about to have a correction, literally, in the markets. <laughs> That's why nobody's buying puts. Nobody thinks the market can go down now. Um, the cost of that hedge protection is extremely cheap. If you want to hedge your portfolio, now is the time to do it, right? Go buy some puts on the S&P to hedge your portfolio. It's extremely cheap. Nobody expects a correction to happen of any magnitude. But that's exactly the setup that you need to have some sort of correction. Now, again, we're talking about a correction. We're not talking about a crash. We're not talking about going back into a bear market. Nobody's talking about that. We're just simply talking about the fact that the market has had a phenomenal run since the October low. And, and even while the market did have a bit of a, you know, just a bit of a struggle coming kind of out of that bottom, you know, the, the reality has been is that in, in particular over the last couple of months, 
um, we've had just a very accelerated rise in the market. So again, you know, it's this, it's this push higher that every gotten everybody excited, right? Ooh, the bear market's behind us. Thank goodness, it's now ready to go. But that's the you know this is where we are. And the month of August tends to be one of the weaker months of the year. Uh, September tends to be another weak month of the year. And again, you know, most of your major corrections have occurred in, in this time of the year, you know, throughout history, whether it's Black, you know, Black Monday or Black Friday or whatever it was, for some reason, always tend to cluster around this time of the year. But that's where we are right now. So again, you know, nothing to worry about momentarily, but something to at least pay attention to. But <clears throat> here's what you need to know before the bell this morning. We're right in the middle of earnings season still. Lots of earnings still coming out. We're gonna have Starbucks today, uh, uh, Pfizer, Merck, lots of big companies all reporting this week. We've also still got Apple coming, so we're gonna hear from them as well. Earnings have been beating estimates, and that's not surprising. Again, we've lowered those estimates so much that you know companies are easily beating those earnings. But interestingly enough, companies really aren't being rewarded all that much for beating estimates. And the one thing to really pay attention to is not what happens at the bottom line of these earnings statements, right? That EPS report. Don't pay so much attention to that uh, as we just wrote about on our website, realinvestmentadvice.com. You know, we, we just wrote a report on the tools that companies use to beat bottom line estimates, but pay attention to what's happening at the top line. The number of companies actually beating top line revenue numbers is actually falling. So as you know, we, we keep expecting all of this to improve, the economy is getting stronger, companies should be doing better, but they're missing those top line sales numbers. The sales numbers aren't really there. So we're making up the bottom line of that through share buybacks, accounting manipulations, et cetera. Nothing, nothing illegal about that. I'm not saying anything about that at all, but you know, this is how we beat those earnings numbers. But yes, we've lowered that bar. Companies are beating those estimates. Markets have been holding up because of that. And, and again, as we move into the month of August, we have this kind of this combination of two things as we're going to hit this month. First of all, earnings will start to go behind us, right? We'll have the earnings season behind us. So that bid under stocks of companies reporting earnings, beating estimates, those type of things, that bid is going to go away. Um, the other part of this is going to come back to just the reality that sentiment is now extremely bullish. And again, markets are very extended, as we talked about yesterday, are very extended from these longer term moving averages. So getting a correction of a you know three to five percent over the course of this month certainly won't be surprising. And you know, this morning we're kind of waking up to the first day of a new month. So traders have were kind of positioned a bit yesterday. We saw a very interesting uptick right in the last 15 minutes of the day yesterday. Uh, put the indexes into positive territory yesterday. But again, most of that positioning into the month has been done. We may get a little bit of selling here, just kind of rebalancing of portfolios, those type of things. And again, there's been a lot of exuberance in stocks. So for a lot of managers, we've really kind of pushed out there uh, to, a, to a fairly large degree. Short covering has been a big driver of this market. Uh, the more that markets have risen, the more the the more these kind of bearish managers and, and and managers have been really short the market with the expectation that we're still in a bear market they're just basically throwing in the towel now in fact a really good article on bloomberg talking just about that that these bearish managers have now just capitulated and are having to cover their shorts and we've we've seen the most shorted stocks as of late having some of the biggest rallies so again it's just that that overall kind of negative sentiment reversal 
that's been pushing the markets as all that negative sentiment's been pushed back into positive sentiment, and that's what the article is about today on the website, that's been driving the market. The problem, or I shouldn't say the problem, but the issue with that is, is that we are now approaching kind of that point to where now everybody is back in the pool. So when we get to those levels, we have extremely cheap puts, uh, you know, extremely, you know, nobody wants to buy a put to hedge their portfolio, extreme optimism on the markets. That's typically a really good setup for that correction that we've been talking about. So as you kind of look at your portfolio, if you have positions that are really, really overbought, stretched, um, you've made good money with them, maybe they're overweight in your portfolio, think about just kind of trimming those back to portfolio weights, reducing some of your equity exposure in areas that is more risky, because probably if we do get this correction, those are the areas that are gonna get impacted the most. The areas that will get impacted the least during a correction and may actually benefit are some of these out of favor sectors that we've been talking about, real estate, utilities, those areas, kind of the more defensive areas may actually pick up some money flows during a rotation in the markets. But just something to kind of pay attention to. But that's what you need to know before the bell this morning. When we come back from the break, we'll get into our article a little bit. I'll show you some of the graphs about bullish sentiment. We'll get into that this morning along with some other topics. Don't go away. You're listening to The Real Investment Show. I'm your host, Lance Roberts. We'll be right back. Get daily investment news you can use. Delivered at the speed of the internet at realinvestmentadvice.com. And welcome back to the show this morning. I'm Rose Lance Roberts. Uh, so talking a little bit about this bullish sentiment that exists right now. And again, everybody is, is very bullish, very, very optimistic and you know, this is a big, as I was saying uh, just a second ago, is that this is a big difference from what we just saw, you know, last year. In fact, we, we wrote an article uh, last year talking about that bearish sentiment was extreme. In fact, bearish sentiment was so bearish in 2022 that it was bullish. And in fact, the you know, I, I posted a chart then of our composite index of retail and professional investor sentiment. And at that time, that was so extremely negative. That's why we were saying, and, and Brent's going to share this chart here in a moment, so we're just waiting. Uh, there it is. Um, at that time, the sentiment was so extremely negative that we said, look, I mean, there's, you know, we're at levels that we haven't seen in bearish sentiment since the financial crisis. That's how negative everybody had gotten. And when you have extremely negative sentiment, and this is why, you know, the sentiment chart is overlaid versus the S&P 500, what that normally equates to are at least short-term market bottoms, if not major market bottoms. When you have, again, when everybody's kind of on the same side of the boat. And not surprisingly, since then, you know, and then in October, um, late October, 1st of November, I wrote an article talking about, you know, are FANG stocks dead? And that was really kind of part and parcel of the same discussion that, you know, everybody hated this one sector of the market. And again, we go back to contrarian investing, and, you know, talking about kind of what Howard Marks once said, he said, investor sentiment has become so bearish that it's bullish and resisting and thereby achieve. This is Howard Marks resisting and thereby achieving success as a contrarian isn't easy. Things combined to make it difficult, including natural herd tendencies and the pain imposed of being out of step, particularly 
when momentum invariably makes pro-cyclical actions look correct for a while. And that's what's been going on. And, and you know, over the last five months in particular, but since October, this market's been in a steady grind higher. And just month after month after month, and again, we have a chart on this as well. I'm not sure why Brent's lagging so much this morning. He's his his he's got a lag in his system. Uh, <laughs> I'm waiting but, for your cue. But we have this this steady increase, and in, and where I have it marked there was when I wrote the article or Fang Stocks Dead. But since then, you know, you just had this super steady increase. This is a Nasdaq, by the way, um, in the market of just. A, a, a push. And, and now the NASDAQ is approaching all-time highs, and it's certainly a very, very different environment than we would have expected. And, and you know, something that, you know, we've talked about earlier this year, yes, you know, this rally has been driven by just a very narrow group of stocks. And as, as I show in that chart again, we've showed this before, is the top seven mega cap stocks have far outpaced returns this year versus the market itself on a, on a market cap weighting or when you're even taking a look at the Russell 2000 index. You know, there's just a massive gap in performance between those. And we also see that same thing when we take a look at a chart of the uh, market cap versus equal weighted index just on the S&P. And the difference in that performance there is simply just those top seven stocks. So uh, again, you know, we've had this you know, FANG stocks were dead in October of last year. Now we can't get enough of them. And that's what's leading to this big divergence in the markets. But this is rapidly leading to this very bullish kind of, of attitude of the markets. And in fact, one of the indexes I like to look at is the National Association of Investment Managers. And this is the NAAIM index. And what's interesting is, and I've got two charts on this I'm going to show you just to kind of prove a point is that when professional managers are basically, you know, very bearish on the markets, um, when, they're, when their total exposure to the markets is less than 40%, that has normally equated to market bottoms. And we can see that going back through history. Whenever, whenever professional investment managers are extremely bearish, that's typically the time to start thinking about buying. We see the exact same thing, of course, is that, and hold on a second, I'm having trouble with my computer now, um, we see the exact same thing when they're extremely bullish. So when those same allocations, those same managers are now, you know, piling into stocks and they have more than 90% exposure in their portfolios, uh, you start to see that they're buying market peaks. And such is the case right now. They're they're over a hundred percent exposed to stocks, or about 101% exposed to stocks. They have they have leverage in their portfolios. And normally that exists, at least in short-term market peaks. Again, there's, you know, when you start to get this extreme exposure during a bull market, you know, you get just little short-term corrections and the market rises again. Um, but this also equates to when we've had bigger peaks in the markets as well, they have this kind of more extreme exposure. But again, that's not really surprising because this also kind of aligns with going back to that first chart I showed you talking about retail and investor sentiment that was extremely negative. Now you see retail investors, and this is the, <clears throat> this is the American Association of Individual Investors, AAII sentiment. It's now approaching kind of all-time highs. And where, you know, uh, uh, you know, individual investors have become extremely bullish on the markets. And that often tends to kind of correspond with peaks 
in the markets. And again, we see the same thing when we take a look at the net bullish sentiment. This is a combination of retail and institutional. So this is both professional and retail investors uh, compared to the index. And this is just the net bullish. So this is bullish minus bearish sentiment. That index also rising here towards fairly high levels. Now, not extreme yet, right? Not extreme. We're getting there. But certainly a very sharp rise in just the last couple of months. It was like all of a sudden investors went, oh, pfft, I got to be in the markets. And, you know, all of that belief that we were talking about since last October is like everybody's so bearish, it's got to be bullish. You know, if you're hiding out and, you know, in gold and beanie weenies and bunkers, you want to be careful here because this market can and will change on you pretty quickly. And that's exactly what's happened. And, and we see this kind of really in two measures. You know, if we take a look at the sentiment composite, which is, again, this kind of net bullish sentiment we were just talking about, and the and we invert the VIX, right? So we have a comparison because when VIX, uh, the VIX index or the volatility index is falling, um, which now it's, it's near its lows, and at the same time you have this rising bullish sentiment, that also has is typically been kind of associated with short-term market peaks. And you're going to get a reversal at some point and this is just kind of this whole kind of, of thesis that we want to be thinking about here as, as we kind of go forward. Because, again, everything had gotten so bearish, this rally wasn't surprising. Now everybody just can't wait to be in the markets. It's like, I've got to be in. I'm getting more and more emails like, how do I get in the markets now? You know, I, you know, I'm, I'm just, you know, I'm buying all tech stocks at this moment. And I can't tell you how many of these I, I, that I'm getting. And that's typically what we see when you know individuals start just going okay I, I can't be out anymore i've got to be in and and you just kind of see this rush this capitulation you know we talk about capitulation during bear markets when people just you know kind of give up the ghost and they sell everything um we have the same there's that same type of capitulation in the financial markets during a bull market as well it's when people just give up the ghost of trying to to be out of the market and they just can't wait to be in and they just kind of pile in now, the point of all this is, is that in the short, this doesn't mean, you know, just because everybody's bullish at the moment does not mean you're going to have a bear market, right? It does suggest you're going to have at least a short-term correction in the market. So again, we've kind of beat this, this, you know, this horse dead over the last couple of weeks talking about, you know, have a short-term correction, be careful, you know, hold a little bit of cash here, wait for a pullback opportunity to add some money. If you want to be in the markets, that's fine, nothing wrong with it, but look for a pullback here to buy the stocks that you want or to get the exposure that you want. The risk, even if, if this isn't a deep correction, right, we only get a 3 to 5% pullback, even at that, you're going to have a better risk-reward entry point than you will buying today. Now, the interesting thing about that is that you could be buying at the exact same point today after a pullback. But if that even that that occurs, your risk reward is still better. Right. As I said, you know, bullish sentiment is getting up there. It's not all the way to extremes yet, but it's getting there pretty quickly. But uh, again, what you're trying to do is put capital to work when the risk reward is is most in your favor. And, you know, as again, you know, we kind of go back and we talk about playing poker and blackjack and those type of things. So if you've ever played cards whatsoever, you know that your risk of losing money 
increases if you have a very poor hand, right? So if I have a pair of twos and I'm playing poker, it's possible I can win with a pair of twos. It's certainly possible. If nobody else has anything, I can win with a pair of twos. Or if I'm a really good bluffer, you know, I can bluff everybody on the table and probably win with a pair of twos. But the, the odds aren't great that I'm going to win with a pair of twos, right? If somebody has a pair of threes, they beat me. Any, anybody has a pair of anything higher than twos beats me, right? So the risk of winning that hand in poker is not great. That's kind of where we are right now. You could put money into the markets, and this market may indeed go higher because there's a lot of, of need for investors to get into the markets right now. But the odds of, of you making a lot of money from here before you get the next correction is not great. If you get a 3 to 5% correction, now you're going to be playing with a much better hand. Your odds of winning are going to be better. Now, does that guarantee if you get a 3 to 5% correction, does that guarantee that you're going to win? Right? Does that guarantee you're going to make money? No, because a three to five could become a five to 10. And that's normal with any given year, right? Any given year, we can have a 10% correction in the markets and then rally right back to all time highs. That's absolutely possible, happens all the time. So, this is why you have to measure your risk and your reward, right? Just pay attention to what the markets are doing. Set the emotions aside. This is the hard part, right? So this whole article today on, on bullish sentiment is all about emotions. And that's all that's going on right now in the market. So just kind of set that aside and use this, this data to work for you. We'll be right back after the break. investment advice blog it's required reading for the informed investor catch it today at realinvestmentadvice.com and welcome back to the show this morning um so just kind of, you know, again, just kind of talking about all the exuberance in the markets, kind of what's happening here. Of course, markets have continued to do very well this year. Um, it's been quite the conundrum uh, on a lot of fronts, right? You know, how can the markets be doing so well when, you know, we have all these other, you know, the Fed hiking rates. We talked about all this stuff before. It's funny, yesterday I was doing an interview for Australian business television. And she asked me, uh, she goes, well, where do you sit on this whole issue of the lag effect? I go, well, I'm sitting in my chair. And she starts laughing. And I was like, you know, the, the problem is, is that we all have these, you know, views, right? Everybody has views about this, that, and the other thing. And, and the problem is, is that nobody knows what's going to happen, right? We just, we just try, have to try to make the best guess at these things. Um, and you know we try to we try to hope we get them right, and that's that's the best that we can do because we really don't know. Again, you know we go back to you know October of last year. Everybody was convinced that you know we were in a big bear market and you know, stock prices were going lower, and you know there was just you know no way around us not having this big deep recession. And it didn't happen. Now it doesn't mean that it's not going to happen, right? This is the big challenge. Right, we have this lag effect, and I've got an article that I'm going to be write that I'm writing, and we'll have it out next week. 
is talking about all of this liquidity that is being put into the economy through a variety of, of government sources, right? Whether it's the, um, you know, the, the Inflation Reduction Act or a whole variety of other issues, you know, we've got just a record amount of debt being issued. In fact, we're about to have to issue another trillion dollars worth of debt. And, and you know, the, the numbers are just getting, you know, kind of mind boggling at this point. As you know, we just throw around a trillion dollars now like it's no big deal, right? But if you think about what a trillion dollars is, if you could have spent a million dollars a day since Jesus walked the earth, you still wouldn't have spent a trillion dollars. You know, that it's just a lot of money. But we just kind of, oh, it's just a trillion dollars here, it's a trillion dollars there, it's a few billion here, it's a few billion there. You know, we, we write billions off as, as chump change now. It's like, oh, it's just a billion dollars. <laughs> You know, that's left pocket change. Got some lint on that money, right? Just need to, you know, we need to get that money spent. And, and we just don't really pay attention to the magnitude of the numbers anymore because it's just the numbers have gotten so big. They have no, no real, you know, tie to what happens in the average person's life. And I got an email from a guy the other day. It says, hey, I'm a Democrat. It says, I hear what you're saying about the debt. But, you know, how do you square this up? We need to do all this stuff in the economy to help people, right? The rich need to pay their fair share, and we need to help all these poor people. But we do, right? We have welfare programs, food stamps. We have all these, you know, uh, access to health care, et cetera. We have all these programs out there to help the poor in this country, right? And that's got to be paid for by taxpayers, who pays 90% of the taxes, Top 10% of income earners. They pay 90% of all the taxes. So if we took all the money from the top 10% of income earners and gave it to everybody else, that's fine. That would work for a year, and then you have no tax revenue, right? You have no assets to give to anybody else. You know, so all these ideas of how we're going to just fix something by raising taxes and giving it, you know, taxing the rich to give it to somebody else, kind of the Robin Hood approach to fixing the economy, they don't work out over time. Right? The only thing that works over time is increasing economic prosperity. Well, how, Because once you increase economic prosperity, it helps everybody. Yes, the rich, rich, the rich will get richer if you have better economic prosperity because they are the providers of labor. They are the investors of capital. Right? So, yes, they're going to make more money, and, and you know, that's going to happen as the economy you know, grows. But and a growing and expanding economy will also help everybody else within the spectrum. And the more debt that we reduce, the more cash flow that people have to spend. Right. And I'm not talking about just government debt either. I'm also talking about household debt. We've got to reduce household debt. But those all come at a cost. See, there's there's no easy fix to any of this. And, and there's no pain-free fix. And this is this is the thing that everybody, this is the magic bullet that everybody's looking for. Social Security, you know, uh, Danny and Richard, love my partners, great guys. They are absolutely convinced that Social Security is going to be here forever. Okay. I'm okay with that. Because, you know, Richard's point is, is that, well, if, if, if Social Security ever goes bankrupt... Well, you know, you're just going to have people, you know, you'll be stepping over people in the streets because there's so many people that depend on Social Security for 100% of their income in retirement. That's a true statement. He's absolutely right. 
But there's a mathematical problem that you've got with Social Security. You've got less than two people paying in for every person taking out, and that's going to get worse over time because of our birth rate. There is just a mathematical end to Social Security and welfare, unless you fix it. And you can't get around that. Article out today in Bloomberg. U.S. public debt burden to rise to 181% of GDP by 2053. Now, that's 30 years from now. I'll be 88 when we get there. I don't care. Personally, I don't care. I probably won't even be alive in 30 years. But there's a lot of people who will be. You know who else has a 180% or higher debt-to-GDP ratio? Japan. The problem is that you cannot create economic prosperity when you have 180% of debt to GDP. Economic growth will be near zero. Inflation and interest rates will be near zero. And that is not the type of environment that creates economic prosperity for all. It was an interesting chart. Let's see if I can... Uh, get this for you. I just want to kind of show you this one chart. Let me drag it over here for Brent. Give me one second. This was a chart by the CBO. The Congressional Budget Office was out yesterday with their latest updates on, on debt. You, you can break this down into two charts. We can go through each one of them, Brent. Just uh, grab the top one if you want. So the top chart is the trend of the deficit. Now, the Biden administration has been running around lately going, I reduced the deficit. No, you didn't. No, you didn't. All that happened was is that we didn't renew all the stimulus spending. So just as a function of us not reducing that $5 trillion in stimulus, yes, the debt reduced. But if you could draw, if you will just visually in your mind, take that previous peak in the deficit, right, where where – it was at its low, and then it reversed. And then you start seeing that trend line down. Just kind of draw that trend line straight through that 2020 pandemic kind of drop-off. And you'll notice that the debt never reduced. It actually just kept growing. And we are just in a growing trend of, of the deficit. And the deficit is going to continue to expand through 2053, because we just keep spending more and more money. And every time we have these debt ceiling, and we talked about this yesterday, every time we have these debt ceiling debates, right? We go, oh, it's a, it's a debt ceiling, and we got it. Well, we're going to hold our feet to the fire. Boy, we're going to really change in Washington. We're going to cut back on spending. And then the debt ceiling debate comes around, and everybody goes, well, if you don't raise the debt ceiling, we're all going to default on our debt. And no, we're not, but it's a, it's a great line to force people to do stuff. And so everybody just capitulates at the last minute and goes, okay, we'll capitulate, you know, fine, we'll raise the debt ceiling. Well, we just automatically increase spending by 8%. So if you just run that number out, and that was the, the, the chart that Brent was just showing, is that the deficit and the debt just keeps growing. The projected rise in debt through 2053 will be at $200 trillion in debt, right? I mean, it's just, uh, uh, oh, sorry, 200% in debt. As a percentage of GDP. Now, and the important point about this is, is that this is the problem. Right? 
you know, the email the, that, you know, I got sent, it was, it was a great email, very respectful. Hey, I'm a Democrat. And, you know, we're all kind of getting held hostage by the extreme left and the extreme right. And, you know, but what's the fix? There is no easy fix. See, everybody's looking for this easy fix where just somehow magically we're going to tweak some little knob up in Washington. And all of a sudden, this whole debt problem goes away and everybody's happy and everything just works fine. This is the weight loss problem. You know, you didn't get into this problem overnight, right? You didn't get you didn't get really overweight overnight, right? That took years of of conscious effort to, you know, overeat and not exercise and do those type of things. You didn't get overweight overnight. You're not going to get back in shape overnight. It's going to require a lot of hard work and dedication. You have to diet, you're going to have to exercise, you're going to have to do all those things that everybody hates to do. But that's the only way you're going to get back in shape. It's the same thing with the debt. We didn't get into this position overnight. We just didn't wake up, you know, at, at the end of the Trump administration and go, oh, my gosh, look what's happened. No, this goes back to Obama. This goes back to Bush. This goes back to Clinton. This goes back to Bush Sr. This all started under Reagan. So you didn't do this for 50 years and expect to get out of this overnight without having some pain. And there's going to be pain to get out of this problem. And it's going to occur, whether by choice or at some point, the markets and the economy are going to force the change when you run out of money. Be right back. Get daily investment news you can use. Delivered at the speed of the internet at realinvestmentadvice.com. So this morning, uh, futures pointing a little bit lower, not much. Uh, Dow's down a smidge, 33 points or so, but uh, you know, a little bit of a weaker open. Not surprising, first day of the month, as I said. And again, the month of August tends to be a little bit weaker month anyway. <clears throat> you have just a lot. You have the entire continent of Europe shutting down, mostly for vacation for the month of August. So just trading will be lighter and activity will be a bit lighter here over the course of the next month. So again, kind of not surprising, a little bit of weakness. Uh, in the month of October. Uh, one thing that we'll all be paying very close attention to, of course, is not just the um, employment number that's out on Friday, um, as we, but you know, we're getting ready to wrap up earnings for the most part. We'll have, you know, this week and next week will be the bulk of S&P 500 earnings. So we're going to have a really good indication of just how strong the earnings season actually was. And we can look at, you know, kind of what the expectations were of earnings growth versus what they actually turned out to be. Um, but one of the things that, you know, we'll be looking at, of course, is, you know, yes, we've got the employment report coming up, but then we have the Jackson Hole Summit coming up here shortly. 
This is the annual confab of central bankers from all around the world where they come and all get together and confab over whatever they're confabbing about, right? But, you know, pretty much, you know, how they're going to, you know, control the world. You know, it's interesting about the Federal Reserve. You know who's not allowed in the Federal Reserve building? No one. Congressman, senator, can't go in. Locked out. It's private. It's owned by the banks. So all these central bankers are going to get together. They're all going to talk about monetary policy, and that'll be our good kind of first real assessment. Now, you'll remember that this time last year, um, we had the Jackson Hole Conference, and the markets were rallying on expectation that the Fed was going to start talking about cutting rates. And 15 minutes before... Powell's speech was to be given he tore up his speech and he wrote a new one very short it was a very very it was the shortest speech ever given at a Jackson Hole summit and he basically said no we're not cutting rates anytime soon that was the the juxtaposition of it and then that was after this big rally we had in July and August of last year markets were rallying strongly on expectations of the Fed pivot Powell crushed that hope, and then the markets hit new lows at, at the bottom of October. So will we get that same type of conversation again? Because again, once again, markets are rallying on expectations that everything is fine. Economy's growing. The Fed's close to being done hiking rates. And in fact, they're close to being done hiking rates, and the market's betting on a pivot. And the question that we have to come back to, and, and there's always the question, and I don't have the answer for this. I just try to, to think about this logically. If I'm the Federal Reserve and I can hold rates at 5%, why wouldn't I? Why do I need to cut rates if everything is doing fine? right? If, if everybody's bullish and the markets are going up and sentiment is improving, which it is, and the economy is humming along on all cylinders, which seems to be the case at the moment, then why would I cut rates? Why would I not wait for signs of real economic weakness and then use that ammo, right? That, that, that ability to cut rates is the best ammunition I have to offset the risk of an economic slowdown. Why would I waste that ammunition outside of an economic slowdown or some other event, you know, some type of financial crisis, et cetera? And by the way, when I say financial crisis, you know, everybody immediately just assumes I'm talking about another major event like 2008. No, I'm just talking about a, a, a financial situation, right? A, a bank failure or whatever it is that spooks the market, something financially related. So, you know, when you use the term financial crisis, it doesn't have to mean, you know, a 50% collapse in the markets, just an event. But, why, but, uh, but to the point, why is the Fed, would I waste that ammunition just for the benefit of the market, which is already doing okay, right? So that, I think there's a decent risk that as we get towards Jackson Hole that the markets potentially get a little bit disappointed in what they hear. Because, again, it doesn't appear at this point. And, look, the Fed's been walking a pretty fine line as of late saying, hey, everything's fine. We're still kind of looking for some, you know, economic weakness, Right, we need to get inflation under control. We need to make sure it's going to be down to two percent. And there's a there is a lot of optimism right now in the markets that inflation is now returning to the normal. 
and this is going to prompt the Fed to start cutting rates because the Fed hiked rates under the assumption that when they're going to hike rates to get inflation back down on a trend towards their target of 2% inflation uh, growth. The assumption was is that well, when they get there, they'll, they'll cut rates back to zero. Don't really understand why, but that's the assumption. The problem, though, is, is that markets are pricing in kind of this rapid decline in inflation, which may be premature. There's two challenges that kind of really lay ahead in terms of the inflation argument. The most important is that inflation is cumulative. So when we take a look at the year-over-year -year change in inflation, and we've talked about this numerous times, that base effect is what's kicking in. So if you go, go back and, again, you know, I've said this before. If gasoline was $4 in January of last year, and this year it's $4, inflation is zero. Price didn't change. It went from 2 to 4 during the inflation. I'm just making up numbers, but gasoline went from $2 to $4 during the inflationary spike, and then over the next year, prices didn't come down. But because it didn't change in a year, that base effect – right says that inflation is zero now you're still paying more for you're still paying twice as much for gas right it just didn't change so the rate of inflation falls so that's the that's the first problem so when the inflation rate is used on that year-over-year -year basis when we start to see gasoline prices pick up right which they have been over the last month or so all of a sudden if gasoline is $4 in January and it's $4 today and the next month it goes to $4.10, now you have inflation back. Right? So the second challenge, though, is the commodity disinflation alongside that base effect has been a major driver of that reduction of inflation. And, 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 and that is something that you've been through this deflationary wave of commodity prices – which was expected. But now you're getting to the point that if the economy, now again, we talked about this before, you're starting to see some upticks in economic activity. Consumer sentiment is rising. Um, you're starting to see some upticks in some of the manufacturing indexes, like new orders, expectations, those type of things. So if they're expecting new orders, what do I have to do? I've got to go out and buy commodities to build whatever it is to fulfill my orders. So all of a sudden, that big negative impact that I was getting from commodity prices on inflation starts to reverse. So paying attention to commodity prices here is going to be important. The reality is, is that monetary normalization is far from complete. And, and this is something that we've talked about for a while. This is one of the reasons we haven't had the recession yet something i'm writing about i went through these charts with our investment team yesterday but i'll have this article out for you next week is you take a look at m2 as a percentage of money supply still extreme uh, sorry take a look at money supply as a percentage of gdp it's still extremely elevated if that continues to reverse that's going to be something we have to deal with. But right now, that ex that that normalization of monetary policy is, is far from complete. Again, we're just spending more and more money now, right? Uh, uh, we're going to issue a trillion dollars of debt here coming up very shortly.
So these are the things just to consider is that, you know, while everything seems to be firing on all cylinders over the last few months, just be aware that a lot of the problems that are out there haven't been fixed. We haven't fixed a lot of these issues. So there is still certainly risk to the markets. We are certainly not all clear at this point. We're certainly not back to any level of normality in the markets. And, and don't forget, at the end of the day, the central banks are still reducing liquidity. So it doesn't mean that the markets are going to crash. I'm not saying that at all. Just All I'm saying is, is just be aware that there is still risk out there that could come back and haunt the markets. And, you know, this is the one thing that the markets are not really pricing in. The markets have been pricing in this hope of this Fed pivot. There's a, there's a potential. I'm not saying an absolute guarantee. I'm not saying this is going to occur. I'm just saying, hey, you've got to kind of think about it from the Fed's point of view. There's no real reason to pivot anytime soon. Particularly if you're not sure that you have inflation under control. Yes, they recently said they don't, they don't expect a recession. They never get that right. They were wrong about expecting a recession. They're probably wrong about not expecting a recession. And such has always been the case. Ben Bernanke back in 2010, uh, 2007 was famous for saying, hey, we're in a Goldilocks economy. No recession is coming. And then you have 2008. And he actually said there is no recession in the process of the economy being in a recession. They never get that stuff right. Yeah, I know. I almost said it. All right. Have a great day. Be back tomorrow for the next edition of the Real Investment Show. Have a great day.